Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Vert Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the virtual voyage, we were heading to Masada in the north of Israel. Masada was a summer palace of King Herod, which was then later turned into a fortress for the brave Jewish remnant a few decades later. We had learned a little bit about the remnant and how they were trying to hold out against the Romans, but we had just run out of time when we arrived in the parking lot for our morning hike up to Masada. So let's go ahead and recap what we learned. We woke up at 3.45 a.m. to get picked up 30 minutes later by our bus driver, Mikhail, and I gave you detailed instructions on what to pack. Water, which is super key so we don't get dehydrated. Like I said, there have been some very unfortunate deaths on Masado only because people have gotten dehydrated and not worn good shoes or hats or sunglasses and sunscreen like the other items you were supposed to bring. That will all be super, super crucial in the next few hours. I recognize that right now, when we step outside, it's actually going to feel kind of nice, a little, a little cool even. But that's the nature of the desert. It's dry heat. It's not humidity like in South Carolina, where I come from, where my home is at, where it can be as dark as possible, and it will still be 80 degrees and nearly 100% humidity. Here in Israel, in the desert, when the sun isn't shining, it's honestly pretty nice outside. So now, what did we learn about Masada last time that will be super crucial for us to keep in mind as we start our hike in just a few minutes. And so we learned that Masada had been a winter palace for King Herod, so that when the cold hit, he could just head to the desert and enjoy some warmer temperatures. And as was the case, he built Masada into a fantastic fortress. I mean, there were living areas, there was a three-tiered palace that will actually get to walk down the tiers of the mountain and, and check out. There were cisterns to keep water because everyone up there had to drink water. There were kitchens to feed all the people up there bathhouses with heated floors. Can you imagine back in those days having heated floors? It was only for the rich and luxurious, I tell you. There were barracks for soldiers, and, and there were elaborate mosaic floors on the inside of some structures, and the cool thing is that some of those mosaics actually remain. Masada, it was the premier place for its day, and of course, I shared with you the treacherous climbing route, which is Snake Path. Remember that? It's not actually so treacherous. I, I just enjoy being dramatic after my experience on it. Really, it was constructed as a way for Herod's men to get up to the mountain and keep working on the task to make his palace look awesome. But now it serves as the hardest way up the mountain, especially when compared to the siege ramp, which is still hard, but it's what we'll be on momentarily to head on up. My secret that I shared with you last time is that I thought I was going to die going down Snake Path the first time. I, I hugged, literally hugged the side of the mountain as I walked down Masada. I cried a lot, I was told. I thought that when my siblings kicked like a little stone, it would cause an avalanche and the entire mountain would come crashing down. And uh, it was not the greatest experience ever, but I look back on it now and laugh uh, because it surely did do one thing. It helped me with my fear of heights. I feared heights so much less after I got to the bottom of the mountain. Definitely not during the descent, but now I look back and say, hey, that's not so high. Compare that to Masada. So you now there's a benefit there and maybe, maybe it'll help you out too. Who knows? 
So anyways, back to the spot. We're standing here. We're looking at the mountain. We just get out of the bus here, right? And, and the dawn is nearly here. I, I see it coming. So pack up your things. And I'll just say a few more words as we prepare to walk on over to the sea drip and get up there before the sun rises. So as we said last time on our drive, the Jews struggled to maintain control over Jerusalem after the exile because nearly every people group was coming at one point. When the Romans came, though, it was really over, at least for a period of, of a couple thousand years, really, and, until the Jews came back to Israel after the Holocaust. The Romans were the most powerful group, arguably, that the Jews had ever dealt with. And so when the Romans came to Jerusalem and conquered it, as in the type of conquering with no ifs, ands, and buts, the type of conquering the Romans were into, many Jews fled. But a remnant of less than a thousand Jews went to Masada, since they knew it was a great location, right? They were on top of a mountain, so think how helpful that would have been to be able to look out and see your enemy. They knew that there were cisterns up there that still had water in them, and food was still preserved there, and they liked how it was spread out enough on top of the mountain for people, for families to have their own living areas, because that was almost a thousand people still that needed their space. Well, we'll talk more about the story of the remnant and what happened to them once we're up there, but for now, come on out. Let's get your belongings here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We actually won't be able to return to the bus since Mikael has to go pick us up from the other side. You actually can go up siege, the siege ramp, but you can't come down it, even though for Snake Path, even though it's harder, they allow people to go up and down it. So for whatever reason, Masada hasn't created a very good path for buses to take, so it will actually take Mikael a good amount of time to go all the way around Masada, he has to take a quite a quite a path uh, and pick us up after our journey down Snake Pass. So make sure you get everything. So the siege ramp we're heading over to was built by the Romans as a way to get up to the Jewish remnant and destroy them. Since we talked about how Snake Path was blocked by the Jewish remnant, of course the Romans were largely unsuccessful for months to two years. The time is unknown because we only have one historical record of this from Josephus. But they were unsuccessful because the Jews took things up and tried to. Now, the siege ramp, I just only hiked the siege ramp in the early mornings, and that's why I had us get up so early. Because Masada, the park, closes down the siege ramp hike after sunrise. I think actually it's about 9.30 a.m., but, but close enough. They worry about people getting overheated as they're trying to make this very steep climb. But Masada is still accessible at times other than 6 a.m. I've actually been up to Masada in the heat of the day before, and that's all because of the cable car system. The cable car allows visitors to go straight up to Masada in just a few minutes. Our cable cars are so fun. There are a number of them in Israel as they can help people get up to spots that are difficult to get to or impossible to get to without the cable car. I thought about letting you enjoy more sleep and just take the cable car up to Masada, but we came all this way to Israel. You should enjoy the full experience, and, and there's something to be said for the cable car ride as you're, as you're coming up to Masada. You can get a good view of the surrounding area, but hiking it is really what the Jews and the Romans did, so you're taking part in that history. So let's head on over to the siege ramp with our water and sun hats and sunscreen. We're going to need all of that very soon when this rather cool temperature starts to drastically rise. Time to climb it. I know, it looks straight up, it is. But come on, virtual voyagers, we're capable of this. We're almost there, you're doing great. It's high and hard. And I know you want to give up, but we're so close. Every single step is one closer to the top where we're going to unlock the secrets of Masada. When your body says it doesn't want to go any farther, that's your reason to keep going. You want to know the secret, right? That's where we're headed. 
Yes, yes, just five more steps and we'll cross over into the official fortress of Masada. Right now, we're in, or we're on, an inauthentic part of Masada. Since, like I said, this part, the siege ramp was built by the Romans, although it's still very old. But now, here we go, we're crossing through the little archway and into the area of the historic Masada. The official, real Masada, you're on it. This is a place with so much rich history, and we've made it, and we're going to walk all around and check this place out and get to explore this history, get to unlock the secrets. But for now, come over with me to the other side of Masada. It's not a very far walk width-wise up here, right? Whether we have length and width, and honestly, Masada, like I said, it's big enough that people could spread out, but it's still small, so we're going to be fine. We're going to head on over to this side to be able to see the sunrise, and the rays of the sun are just starting to peek out. Here it comes. Get your cameras ready. I'm always amazed at how it is seemingly dark one moment, but when the sun appears, it immediately gets light. It's dark and then the sun just comes so rapidly. One of my best memories from here on Masada was when our tour guide, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, was blowing his shofar here because it was a month in which the Jews blow the shofar on a daily basis. So he had his mini shofar, which is a ram's horn that you blow through. And he had that in his backpack, and he brought it out with him on top of Masada. He climbed with it, and then uh, he was observing the command to blow the shofar while the sun was rising. And he also brought these leather straps that he would strap around his arms and on his forehead. And they had these two boxes containing portions of the Torah inside of them, and they're called the tefillin. And that's actually a command that's very important to Orthodox Jews, as it helps them remember how God delivered them from Egypt. In fact, this command is so important this, this fulfillment of the tefillin, that you'll actually see some Jews set up stands of sorts on major streets like Jaffa Street, where there are going to be a lot of Orthodox Jews, and then also Jews who haven't maybe put on tefillin in a long time, or aren't practicing Judaism. So these, they'll have these stands where you'll be able to, uh, well, Jewish males, rather, will be able to come in and put on the tefillin. Like I said, many Jews in Israel are Jews by birth and maybe don't practice Judaism. So this is kind of an outreach of sorts to help bring people back to observing the commandments of Judaism, one of the, the foundational ones being putting on the tefillin. So anyways, we got to see our tour guide observing all of the commandments while we rested from the morning hike. And then my mom actually got a picture of him with the shofar, with the sunrise behind him. And it was really cool when he put it on all of his social media. And he's a, he's a pretty big tour guide over there in Israel. So we would see my mom's picture on all of his social media. And it was a very fun experience. So let's actually stop here and look at the beautiful sunrise over the Dead Sea and discuss the Siege of Masada before we go and look at some of the structures here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. As I've talked about before, a remnant of about a thousand Jews fled to Masada when the Romans conquered Jerusalem. They were not safe sticking around, so fleeing to the desert made sense. The Romans were able to kill or bring into submission many of the Jews, except there were a few remnants around that were causing them trouble. And, and why couldn't the Romans just accept that there were a few Jews who were going to be around and, and they could be mostly happy that all of the Jews, the majority of the Jews were gone and, and they could be pleased that they had accomplished their mission. But no, they wanted to completely obliterate the Jews. They didn't want them to come back and potentially be able to stir up another revolution because the Romans had witnessed firsthand that only a few Jews could actually do a lot of damage. So again, I'll make the point that I've made before, because it is so important. So many groups throughout history have tried to destroy the Jews, and they've been unsuccessful. The Romans were another group. 
think about this. How many true Romans, true Romans, as in the Romans speaking Latin, they go around wearing a toga. How many true Romans are around today? Yeah. And then compare that to the number of real Jews we see today. You get the point. In fact, okay, this is funny. There are some shirts for sale at stands in the Jewish portion of the Old City Market that I find very interesting, mainly because they have some historic truth to them. The shirts have this win-loss count of the Jews versus other nations throughout history that have tried to destroy the Jews, right? And it tries to point out that every people group that has tried to destroy them either doesn't exist or has been beaten very badly. So they have peoples like the Assyrians and the Babylonians on there to the Romans and all the way up to modern times. It may not be the most tasteful shirt ever. I mean, there's a reason I haven't bought one. But it's interesting how it points out some amount of truth. Okay, so the Romans. They found out there was this remnant that had fled to Masada, right? And we've already talked about why Masada was a good spot for the Jews to hide out at. So in 72 AD, there was a Roman governor of Judea, and he had control over Jerusalem and then the area surrounding it, right? He had control over Israel. And so this governor ordered about 15,000 men and women to go to Masada and destroy this Jewish remnant of about 960 people. And that's a lot of people. 15,000 for 960 people? Remember we were in the parking lot earlier this morning? All of that area would have been a camp for the Roman army. Actually, get up and, and walk over here with me. Check this out. Look down and then around on the ground. From this height, we just see weird indents in the ground. But in reality, those indents you're seeing are all from the Roman camps. The Romans would have absolutely surrounded this place. You'll, you'll see these indents all around Masada. If you were to take a loop around the top of the mountain while looking down at the ground, you'd notice all of the areas where the Romans would have pitched camp. So you might wonder why the Roman soldiers were only men, but they brought Jewish prisoners of war with them. And that's how women were there. Take a moment to think about that. Jewish men and women knew what they were going to have to do. They were going to fight with the Romans against their own brothers and sisters. More on that in a moment. So when the Romans and the Jewish prisoners of war, right, when they get to Masada, they realize they're not going to be able to get up Snake Path because it's been blocked. And also, it's, it's very narrow, as we'll see when we go down it. So the Romans wouldn't have been able to get all of their fighting equipment up with them. So they end up having to build a siege ramp. And there's a good chance most of the siege ramp building was done by the Jews who are prisoners of war. Can you imagine? They actually had to go and fight with the Romans, knowing that what they were doing would destroy their fellow Jews. Well, the siege ramp finally gets constructed, and the battering ram they made goes up at two. And on April 16th, 73 AD, the Romans tear down the walls, probably as the Jewish prisoners of war watching in horror and sadness, and they find... There aren't any Jews there to slaughter. What happened? One article from 1962 that I really liked reading had words uh, that are quite powerful concerning the Romans and what they found on top of Masada. It says that Masada, when the Romans entered, was a citadel of death. And these words are quite accurate, because when the Romans broke down the walls, they found that all of Herod's magnificent buildings were burned or currently burning. And what happened to the 960 Jews? Well, they had all committed suicide. Technically, they didn't commit suicide if suicide is defined as one's own person taking their very life. Since suicide is prohibited in the Jewish religion, only the last Jew of the remnant took his own life. 
What happened, according to Josephus' historical record, is that the night before the Romans would come in, and, and the Jews knew all of this was going to happen, they exhausted their resources. So that night, all the Jewish men went and killed their wives and children. Gruesome and awful. I know. But this is the history of Masada, this place where we're at right now. And then all of the Jewish men got together and drew lots to determine which ten of them would kill all of the rest. Out of the ten, one person would kill the remaining nine and then commit suicide himself, his final act being against Jewish law. So all of this took place that night before the Romans entered Masada, according to what Josephus' account says. The men drew lots, choosing ten of their number to kill all the others. The ten then drew lots and selected one to kill the other nine. He then killed himself, thereby becoming the only person to commit suicide, technically speaking, against Jewish law. So the only survivors of this horror on top of Masada were two women and five children, who supposedly overheard talk about the mass suicide and how they were to be killed, and they hid inside a cistern. And they were the sole survivors of this horrible tragedy, and Josephus says that the Romans found them, and they recounted the story to the Romans later, and then that went on to Josephus. The Jewish leader of the remnant on top of Masada, Elazar ben Yar, wanted to show the Romans the strength of the Jews, and that they really weren't giving up and surrendering to the Romans, but were rather exercising their freedom to die. To make this point, he told the men to set fire to and destroy everything on top of Masada. However, the men were to leave the food, which was to point out that the remnant still was able to continue living, but that they just chose death over slavery. Masada is a reminder to me of what bravery looks like. It always makes me reflect on the significance of freedom and the length that humans will go to to show that they possess it. It's something that all people desire, right? We all have a desire of our freedom. That's part of being human. The philosophers talked about that, but what happens when we know our time as free people is over? What will we do? Well, the Jews of Masada responded to that question through their deaths. There was a quote from Elazar ben Yar, the leader of the remnant, that has always stuck with me since I first heard it. Just listen to it. Since we long ago resolved never to be servants to the Romans, nor to any other than to God himself, who alone is the true and just Lord of mankind, the time is now come that obliges us to make that resolution true in practice. We were the very first that revolted, and we are the last to fight against them. And I cannot but esteem it as a favor that God has granted us, that it is still in our power to die bravely and in a state of freedom. Benier refused to become a slave to the Romans as he was enslaved only to God. And while he and his group had been the first to revolt against the Romans and the ones who stood the longest, he recognized that it was over and chose to exercise freedom and death rather than become a slave to someone other than God. Well, the sun is almost all the way up, and that means we can go check out what's on top of Masada, explore Herod's palace, see where the remnant bravely stood, and where they died. But again, we're out of time, so we'll pick up right here on top of Masada next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, 
Abigail on Radio Free Hillsdale 1.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue our tour of Masada, the fortress for the brave Jewish remnant who held out against the Romans until they chose to exercise their freedom to die instead of becoming Roman slaves. See you next time on the Virtual Voyage. <laughs>